The following program contains views that are not those of WVTC, iNetworks Communications, their subsidiaries, affiliates, or financial supporters. Welcome to the Declaring War segment by the RSVP Show, where we get to the root of things and apply the Word of God to every aspect of our lives. Worship, application, and read is how we declare war upon the enemy and bring the light of God and His love for us into every atmosphere. Join your host, author, and singer-songwriter, April D. Metzler, as she and a few special guests dive deep into Scripture and demonstrate the Bible in action through their testimony. April is passionate about understanding the heart behind every subject and helping you pursue a relationship with God for a victorious life every day. Are you ready for real, candid, and vulnerable conversations about God, His Word, and His love for you? Grab your Bible, pen, and study pad, and let's get it. Hello, 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 and welcome to another broadcast of the Declaring War segment. I'm your host on the RSVP show, April Metzler, and I am here to share the scriptures with you. And so I'm super excited to dive into this next chapter because it's jam-packed of awesomeness. We're on John chapter 5. We've already covered John 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. So here we are at 5, and I'm um, going to be sharing that here shortly. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and open up this particular broadcast again. Declaring War segment is all about focusing on God, and we're walking out this worship in, in, in Him, and what that really looks like in action is doing the whole submitting and yielding and surrendering to the Lord in all of our ways. And when we do that, we we get to look at opportunities and see opportunities in Him to walk out the Word of God. And so we always, of course, bless these broadcasts with a prayer and covering and invite Holy Spirit in to lead us through the scriptures so that that takes root and gets into our heart of hearts so that it becomes a part of us and we walk these things out to glorify the Lord. And so if you'll join me in prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here together, united in this effort to read your word and we are hoping and seeking and searching for ways to connect with you even more through this word of God in John chapter 5, Father. So for every person that's on this broadcast, give them ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying in this season and in this time. And if it be uh, healing, if it be just a witness to your glory, God, for your goodness to be seen across the world, Father. Um, we just ask that to be done in abundance um, for every listener. And, and if they share your word of in this chapter with their, their brothers and sisters in Christ, let it sharpen and edify and encourage them in what they are doing. And if they share it with someone that doesn't know you, Father, make sure that the... the um, Words that they speak are seasoned with salt so that it it does um, take root and, and take seed. And whether let them not worry about whether or not they are the water or the sower or the one that does the harvest, Father. Just let them do unto you 
and um, give you glory and honor and all of these things, Father. And so we ask for this leading and guiding and teaching through the Holy Spirit. And we ask for further spiritual wisdom and revelation to the knowledge of you through these these words here in your holy word. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, Father. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining me in that prayer agreement. Remember when we partner in faith with others, we can see the movements of God. And it's just, it's beautiful when we unify in the body, um, all of the many things that we can do together as in one accord. And so, all right, you guys. So we are in, like I said, chapter five, and we're going to dive right into this. Of course, a, a lot of people know about this story and recounting. If you have been in church often, it's one of those that gets talked about, you know, just a little bit, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to read it, of course, and we're going to go through it and see what we have come up and hopefully something new comes up and you can comment in the um, comments or or even just send me an email at admin at apraldmetzler.com and let me know what your thoughts were on this whole scripture this time around. So um, be sure to share this out. And uh, if you're catching the replay, make sure to do the hashtag replay for me in the comments and I'll circle back around and visit with you about this stuff. So, all right. So we've got verse one and it says, after these things... And this is, of course, the things that happened when Christ healed the nobleman's son that we learned about last week in John 4 and um, how he had actually finally been received um, over in Galilee. And, uh, and now we're here and we're talking about the feast that he's at. Okay, so uh, 5 says, After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Beth Bethsaida, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, the Jews are fixing to get irritated with him again because, again, this was not on a day he was supposed to be doing this stuff as far as their traditions and history and culture are concerned. And so um, as far as uh, this particular feast, uh, he, John didn't identify the actual feast that was going on at this particular time. And so you, you can note that, you know, it wasn't referenced here specifically. Uh, we just know that it's a feast of the Jews. And then it says on here also that, um, you know, 
I think it's interesting that this is talking about a sheep gate reference, you know, um, and this is just my, my thoughts and feedback here to throw this out there for you. But, you know, Jesus talks about um, the way to enter, you know, it's not through this broad area, it's through that narrow gate that we enter into. And, you know, in scripture, we also find uh, quite a few references of Jesus referring to himself as a shepherd and the responsibilities of a shepherd, you know, and, and these things, if you can get a picture in your mind of this, um, there was, this was right there. It says, um, it says it was by the sheep gate. There was a pool of healing at the time, um, that all of these people ritualistically flocked to. Now, when it says angel of the Lord in here, we want to be careful as to how we interpret that and if we can go back to the original text and everything. But, um, you know, that's, that is one of those things. It's one of those controversial things when you dive into um, understanding that in context. It's not meaning Jesus, obviously, um, especially like it's not in relation to like the um, original uh, Old Testament references when it talks about an angel of the Lord or um, there's a lot of references in the Old Testament where it's it's controversially discussed about how Jesus is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament actually but um, don't get caught up in those things um, I just highly encourage you not to go down rabbit holes of trying to fill in the gap I had a um, Bible professor tell me one time that that there's like this gap theory and um, people get on that train and they'll decide to take journeys down roads that that aren't even written in the word of God. And uh, and it sort of gets things a little bit twisted. And I just encourage you to to look at the the bigger picture here, you know, Jesus is demonstrating that it's not through a source of the world that this man is going to find his healing, although he has sought that type of healing, a worldly healing for over 38 years. But in this particular um, example, Jesus literally illustrates that he is the healing and when we turn to him and when we seek after him, he is the one that heals. You know, we receive our healing through believing upon him and receiving that, accepting that it is truth, believing upon it without doubting. You know, there's there's so many layers of this particular passage that have absolutely nothing to do with this distracting angel of the Lord controversial reference. Okay. Let's not pick apart things. Let's, let's focus on the fact here. Somewhere there was a pool that got swirled up and people presumed it was an angel of the Lord because there was miraculous things happening. Now, mind you, you know, there was, there was miracle caliber of stuff going on in the old Testament with you know, different wizards and things that, you know, ended up like, look at the story of Elijah, you know, he had to uh, contest the world's perception of power, if you will, miraculous power. And he leaned into God to do that. And all of the other prophets that were doing this like blasphemous type of stuff ended up, you know, getting their 
hat handed to him. Uh, if you'll mind the turn, if you don't mind the turn of phrase there, but um, Elijah through God and relying on him and listening to him and seeking him and being present in the moment to do his will ends up basically having the ability to do what he did and um, did away with the worldly miraculous signs in an instant, you know, and, and there was, there, there was this similar situation going on where there was a pool stirred up and miraculous things happened and no one could explain it. And it was this worldly focused healing and only one person got healed. Like, let's be real. If it was something of God, that was a miraculous type of thing. Um, it wouldn't be like a one, one a day thing, like all people. Cause it says in scripture that Jesus went about healing all who were sick. All, there's nothing left out at all. Right. And so we've got to, we've got to look at this thing from a, um, a godly biblical, like heavenly kingdom minded would be probably a better reference. Oops, sorry. I hit my mic <laughs> reference um, term, you know, just look at it from that perspective versus um, picking apart things. And um, that'll help you tremendously when you're going through biblical interp interpretation. Like, do we know first before we go and overanalyze things, it's like, what would Jesus do? You know, well, it says what he did. He went about healing all and so, um, and he, he is our, our savior. And if you dig deep into the word save and heal throughout scripture in the new Testament, and even in the old Testament references of the prophetic words that were given about Jesus, you're going to find that they're very synonymous with one another. Healing and saving are very synonymous. And so I just want to encourage you guys to, um, Find out these things for yourself and then consider and come and let us reason together is what God said. But consider these things um, in a prayerful manner about what what's the big point here. The big picture is that we seek Jesus, not the world in in these quote unquote miraculous healings or claimed miraculous healings. Of course, I'm not saying anything about um negative against uh, any type of medical treatment or health, you know, God provides wisdom. He's the creator. He inspires all these things, you know, and, and uh, everything was once a vision set in a man's heart and it came to be because they acted upon that. And, and then it's here in existence. Just imagine a, someone that that's an architect that has this beautiful, imagination, you know, built mansion or building that's just phenomenal architectural design, right? That doesn't even exist, but he sees it. And then he sits down and he draws it. And then he gets the blueprint and establishes how it's going to be built. And then it all of the workers get put in place, the contracts get signed, and then the building is actually commissioned and built. And then it exists. 
But everything we see on here that is a man-made item in this world first began with a deposit of a vision, an inspired vision, right? So just think about that a little bit before we start like overanalyzing this and getting too deep into our own thoughts and our own understanding of these matters. Jesus is seeing a man that is sitting there unable to receive healing because of restrictions of the world and the sickness itself. And he's unable to um, achieve that fullness of being able to walk again. And he literally obeys God after, you know, Jesus, of course, obeys Jesus after Jesus gives him a command. And it's very simple. Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Now, if he did not believe the words that Jesus spoke, that would not have transpired. If he sat there and doubted, that would not have happened. So these are things that we can pull and glean from stuff like this. And we're going to go ahead and move on. Um, I think I beat that like a dead horse. I'm so sorry. And, and as far as the turn of phrase, it's just an old country phrase. I don't want to hear anybody saying nothing about it. That just means that you're sitting there. Obviously, I don't, I don't need animal protective services coming at me. I don't even have horses anymore. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you guys, it's just you, you keep on and keep on talking about something. And, you know, it's just sometimes it's, it's not fruitful, just like it is like picking apart things. It's just not a fruitful you know, point of time. I'm just trying to drive that point home. Uh, for someone, because that is usually not something that I talk about. So here we go. We're going on and uh, we're on um, nine still. And it says, now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you? pick up your pallet and walk. But the man who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. So Jesus is tying in part of his work that he is doing on this earth that he was sent to do to fulfill all of the the prophecies and meet the the mission, if you will, that God sent him to do here on this earth. Uh, he considered it to be working unto the Father and yielding to God, obviously, so that the Father is working in him and through him, you know, so he didn't even, he's completely depending on God the Father to be working alongside him in partnership with him, through him, you know, all around him. And he's acknowledging that God is, is the end all be all, you know, he is the creator. He is who does the work, you know? And so 
uh, I really like that part. And then we're going to glean on a little bit more, though, about the fact that, you know, the Jews, I'm just going to make a comment here in this, this particular passage, I was going to say illustration, but in this particular passage, we're talking about um, uh, religion, like rituals, you know, things that were um, do and don't do these things. And if we get caught up in that, um, it's, it's a works based relationship. Um, and that's not what Jesus was doing. You know, he considered healing work. He considered obeying his father, you know, part of obedience and that these things are part of obedience to what he was supposed to do, like obedience to the word, um, obedience to the, you know, things that God instructed him to do here on earth. And so the, these are, these are things to consider is all I'm saying. We're just going to throw that in there. We just need to consider, uh, why we do what we do. And, um, when we do what we do that we consider working into the Lord, are we giving him, acknowledgement and honor and letting him have the glory in and through it all versus taking a little bit for ourselves. You know, these things are things to think about. And then are we conforming to the ways of the world and rituals and traditions and religion, or are we following the ways of God? And so those are very big things that we need to consider. Um, 18, it talks about, we're going to go into a little bit of a pivot here and we're going to talk about God giving Jesus the authority that he has because he's the son of God. And so uh, 18 says, for this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So he's already causing a ruckus with this stuff, right? Verse 19 says, therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. Uh, For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing and the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel for just as a father raises the dead and gives them life. Even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all of judgment to the son so that all will honor the son, even as they honor the father He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so it goes back to your belief structure and the very foundational piece of the puzzle would be, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? And at this time, you know, the Jews did not. They they just thought of. Jesus as one of the the prophets or rabbi, or, you know, he's just a teacher, you know, of the word, very uh, educated without being educated, which didn't make sense and baffled them, obviously. But um, the, 
the whole point here is what do you believe? And I think that this is a great pull in, like, because if you do believe he's the son of God and you do believe the word of God that is here um, in the scriptures and it's, and you believe that it's the inspired word of God that's profitable for teaching and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, then you know that these things here, this connection, you know, this relationship, son and father relationship that is united in him, the abiding, you know, the, I, the submission, I don't do anything right. I, it's, uh, you know, he sees the father doing it and he does it, but he doesn't do anything on his own accord apart from the father. He's in full submission, full obedience. Like, what does that look like in our lives is something that we should definitely challenge ourselves to consider and think about. Right. And so, um, you know, a lot of the, the things that we'll get caught up on is we're just doing all of these things that are tradition um, and religion based and they are they are just repetitious you know we're doing them because we we were told by somebody that that's what we ought to do versus finding out in scripture you know for ourselves who God is who we are in Jesus Christ and what that relationship really looks like and what our role is in the the grander scheme of things you know have you have you identified what it is that God is calling you to do have you, do you know what the hope of his calling is and how it pertains to you is something that that uh, we all must come to understand in and so that we can get beyond just the repetitious works. Yes, it's great if you serve in the church. Yes, it's awesome if you lead Bible studies every other week, you know, at your house. I mean, there's just so many things that you can do, you know, like helping in different ministries and outreaches and serving the community. And those are things that are uh, profitable to edify and encourage man, right? But apart from the love of God and understanding what that is. If it's just the works and you're doing it apart from God, apart from Jesus, you know, not actually incorporating um, the heart behind it in a way that that would be in alignment with God's will. You know, um, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved, and we'll we'll be able to discern, you know, what the the will of God is what is pleasing and acceptable, you know, in his sight. So, but that goes with going back to like knowing God and, um, and Jesus did. And so we're in 24 and we're going to read through here. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed, not, um, has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life to himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, 
those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is Jesus talking, okay? So just it just reiterates what we had just said. Um, and I, I do know that, you know, uh, before the actual covenant that Jesus initiates, he's referring to the old covenant, um, and they were justified by their choices. And so um, we can, you know, dive into Hebrews and look at that kind of stuff where it's talking about, you know, all of the different major players in the Old Testament were justified by their faith. Um, But um, we're going to go ahead and go through these witnesses real quick. And I'll just uh, do a final thought and let you guys go for the day. Um, It says, uh, 31 is where we're at. And it says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. So he's, you know, he's talking about John. John was awesome. That's great. I'm glad that you believed in him and you saw the light in him um, that, you know, that led you to believe in me. However, at this point, the works that I'm doing are pointing back to my father and they are sufficient enough for you to believe on me, you know? And then here's another witness that, so that makes two witnesses. And then we're here and it says in the father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe him who sent me. Now he's questioning the belief structure here again. Do you believe in God and do you believe in Jesus? Um, if you don't believe in God, then you don't, you won't even recognize Jesus. And so we're moving on and it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me so that you may have life. Oh, I'm sorry. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? And we're in 45 now, and it says, do not think that I will accuse you before The Father, the one who accuses you, is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so all of this, John chapter 5, is just going over and over the fact that there's a great, great value in where we put our hope 
who we put our trust in and what we believe in. And so I definitely encourage you to reflect on these things, really delve into some inward searching, uh, heart cleansing, um, mind renewal type of stuff um, this week and, and just do some reflection and say, okay, you know, do I, you know, what do I trust God in? What do I need to work on? You know, like what am I still holding on to? You know, these different things um, are really going to help um, remove strongholds and tear down some walls. If you actually do that time invested reflection work, because God is going to be right there with you as you do these things and think and consider about these things. And it gives you the opportunity to invite him in those areas of your life and actually, uh, actually attain, uh, um, reach out and grab and receive and take hold of and put on the healing, the saving power, the healing grace of Jesus Christ, and really just make that connection back to him in fullness. And so I just encourage you to take that time to do that. And you'll be surprised at, you know, what God gives you in those moments of stillness before him. So, all right, you guys, until next time, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And I uh, end this with a blessing to you and yours to find um, his rest and his love this week. All right, you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this visit of the Declaring War segment by the RSVP Show. We hope these moments of reflection and stillness for victory in your pursuit of God were a blessing to you. We encourage you to continue to worship, apply, and read the Word of God every single day while today is still today. Stay connected with April at April D. Metzler through social media. New music singles and her debut music album are available to add to your favorite playlist on streaming platforms. And you can get a copy of her book wherever books are sold. Learn more about the great things she is doing to bless God and his people on her website at aprildmetzler.com. Thank you for joining this visit with us. Always remember, God loves you. Views made on the preceding program are not those of WVTC Radio, iNetworks Communications, or their financial supporters. Winning victory through Christ, WBTC, Allsip Chicago, and iNetworks Communication Station.